Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Mike to New Haven podcast with sports personality Mike Cologne. Here's your host, Mike. You're listening to the best of the bravest. Interviews with the FDNY's elite. That theme makes me, you know, just gets me pumped up, man. It makes me want to hop on that rig. I've never done the job, but it makes me want to hop right on that rig and go fight that big red devil. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to episode 183 of the Mike the New Haven podcast. If you haven't checked out 182 and 181, that was a doubleheader on Tuesday. First, it was news theme. First was Joel Garzulo from NBC. Long time coming to get her on, 15 months to be exact. I don't give up, if you can tell. So she was finally able to be here. And Roma Tori in the nightcap. Uh, formerly of New York One, their first on-camera hire in 1992. So we go from news to the firehouse for volume 17 of the Best of the Bravest, interviews with the FDNY's elite, with my next guest, who for a glorious 23 years fought fires as your classic old-school engine man in a borough where fires are as common as the rising of the sun. It stops at engines 224, 248, 290, as well as a stint in ladder 113 in the 12th Division when he was newly promoted to lieutenant. He is both seasoned and salty, and that for volume 17, and like I said, of the best of the bravest interviews with the FDNY's elite, tired FDNY Lieutenant Rich Dumick. Rich, welcome. How are you? Thank you, Mike. Nice to see you. Thanks for having me on. And I feel flattered that you bumped uh, ex-commissioner Daniel Nigro to have me on. So. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. You, you better clear that up, though. because <laughs> Yeah, I should. I should say and we sent Commissioner Nigro and, and, and Mrs. Nigro, they're, they're our best, of course. They're, they're not feeling too well. Dan is a little under the weather. That's why he couldn't be here tonight. I'll, I'll get him on later in the summer, though. So, Commissioner, if you're listening, feel better. I'll get you on eventually. You're not going to escape me. Feel better. Rest up. And I hope to see you soon. So, uh, no, I, I had to pivot to somebody. And you know what? Thankfully, you stepped up to the plate tonight. And I think we're going to have a great show. So before we get into your exploits in the fire service, tell me, where'd you grow up? I grew up in, uh, well, I was born in Brooklyn. Um, I lived on Logan Street in East New York when I was first born. I was born in St. Mary's Hospital on Eastern Parkway. Then, uh, oh, I don't know. I was about, I guess, four or five. We moved to Hollis, Queens. And then we moved from there to uh, Roxbury in Rockaway, across from Fort Tilden. And mm. I've been here ever since, I think mm. 1958. 
the Dooming legacy is strong. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I have all my kids living around me, so I'm their maintenance guy. <laughs> so that's that takes up a lot of my retirement. But um, so yeah, I've been here. Uh, I we've been a homeowner, my wife and I, here since 1974. That's very good. Very good. So um, that's pretty much it. I got on the fire department, as you know, in 1978. Um, I was in the third class off the new list. Uh, I was very fortunate. I ended up 505 on the uh, on the list. And got on a third class in uh, in 1978, when yes, the city was burning. <laughs> they called the war years from the 60s, uh, and and even into the 70s. But uh, there was still a lot of fires going on, uh, 70s into the 80s. No, of um, course. So um, 224, I was there for five years. Uh, it was a single engine in, in Brooklyn Heights. And, uh, you know, I, I, I told people before, if we didn't put the flag out, you wouldn't know the firehouse was there. <laughs> but uh, we, it was funny because we would stand out in front of the firehouse and Norman Miller would jog by the firehouse in the morning, you know. And some of the guys would, you know, say hi to him like they knew him, you know. <laughs> and he would say hi and he goes, you know, and he would jog back home, you know. But uh, I had a nice run in, in 224. Um it was it was a, a slow company, but we we interchanged back then, and uh, you know uh, you know went to a lot of fires because we used to change with uh, engine two thirty, which is at Park and Sumner, and uh, you know you caught work there even though we weren't doing our own neighborhood. Um, I think I was on on about a week before I caught my first fire, and that was a uh, an oil burner, which wasn't too bad. Uh, so. Uh, but a lot of great guys, you know, went through that place. Um, uh, it's, it's, it's like I said, it's a, it's a brownstone pretty much in, uh, on Hicks Street, downtown Brooklyn. Uh, I have a lot of good memories there. You always have memories of your first firehouse. And it's always tough to leave, but uh, I was looking for more work. So, uh, and closer to home, I used to drive by 50 firehouses to drive downtown Brooklyn, which would take me like an hour and a half. And traffic was murdered at Brooklyn Queens Expressway. So it was such a pleasure when I transferred to 248 in Flatbush, um, which I pretty much learned a job there. Well, let's let's backtrack for a second. Was the job always your first choice? Uh, actually, um, it was crazy because I had taken the, the sanitation test, the fire department test, the police test, mm. and I also took a uh, I also took a test for the federal exterminator, and uh, I would have taken any job that came up. And you know what happens. You don't hear nothing. And then all of a sudden, everybody wants you. I got to call from the sanitation. I got to go from the cops. So I ended up going to the fire department at that point. But, um, you know, it was, I would have taken at that point any job for that matter, you know. Um, uh, but the fire department, uh, I got to say, uh, like an old time once said, you know, you work for the city, you don't get rich, but you make a nice living. And, you know, it's been good to me. Good to me. Yeah, absolutely. So. This is volume 17 of the best of the bravest interviews with the FDNY's elite. Our guest tonight is retired FDNY Lieutenant Richie Dumick. If you have a question for Lieutenant Dumick in the chat, either through Twitter, LinkedIn, or YouTube, where we're live on tonight, all three, uh, make sure you fire it away and I'll make sure that he sees it at a certain point. So you wanted more work. That brings us to 84. You mentioned going to 248 slash ladder 113. You shared a quarters with them. How much work was common in a given shift? Oh, first of all, actually, uh, no, 248 was a single engine with the battalion. Ah, right, right, right. 249 is in 113. 
But uh, I'll never forget my, my first day in 248. It was a Sunday day tour. We had 14 runs, and I went to a fire. <laughs> this is a Sunday day tour. My first tour there, <laughs> you know, and I was, I was all excited about that. I was like, okay, that's, this is why I'm here. Um, great firehouse, great guys. Um, it's still a great firehouse. Um, you know, I pretty much learned the job there. And you know when it's good when five years pass by in a firehouse and it seems like it was six months, you know, it, it just it just flies by. Um, uh, we had some, you know, I'll tell you, <laughs> I got burnt there a lot. Um, and, it, it, and probably because of the fires we had, we used to get a lot of basement fires and PDs because um, there used to be a lot of these gypsy cab drivers. They were all living in the basements and SROs. Uh, so it was, uh, it was really some time. And then, then, you know, the crack was epidemic was going on and, uh, you know, there was, there was a lot of fires in Flatbush, um, and, uh, Flatbush Avenue was always tough because we didn't do good there, you know, old stores. Uh, and even before I got there, there was a couple you know, they had some major fires collapses and fortunately nobody was killed there, but, uh, yeah, I had, I had quite a run of 248. It was really a great spot. Attracted great guys. Offices were super. Um, and like I said, I pretty much learned the job there. Um, and and we were always, you know, uh, like I said, I can remember like times when other companies were going sick around us and we were going to another fire. You know, <laughs> I can remember one time I got burned. We went to a fire, I got burned. I come to, back to the office. I said to the lieutenant, I said, hey, Lou, my back of my neck bro- bother me I, am i burned you know so he, he looks at me and he goes you know oh yeah rich you got a little burn back there and there's it, a big pause and i go uh so you ready to go back to service lou i'm not getting any sympathy from the lieutenant so <laughs> I, I just he goes well is the rig ready i go yeah he goes okay put us back at service and off we went to another run you know but uh that was the kind of place it was. I mean, the lieutenant was great, and uh, you know, it, you never wanted to buck him, and that's that's just what we did, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, yeah. But uh, like I said, we attracted great guys, and um, guys went up through there, got promoted, um, did very well, and it's it's still a super firehouse. Um, uh, like I said, it's still pretty busy, and the neighborhood's really <laughs> on a big upswing over there. There's all kinds of construction, new buildings, and, and oh, stuff like that. The, so, the thing, the, the thing not to cut you off that, that marvels no. me, though, is that and I don't know how you guys get through it. It's just that unless it's a serious, serious injury where you cannot move, basically, and you have to be hospitalized, you guys really tough it out, man. It doesn't matter what it is in most cases. Like I said, unless it's something very serious, like life threatening, you'll keep going. Yeah, um, it's it's yeah, it's tough sometimes, you know, I could, but, uh, you know, then it depends on what you're doing. Like one time I had a serious fire. And uh, it was uh, actually it was Christmas Eve and the, I was backing up the Nileson and he went to the burn center and uh, I didn't go sick. I was burnt uh, because it was Christmas Eve, probably. And later on, you know, he had a case, I guess, because of the bunker gear and all of that. He was, you know, had a case against the landlord of the city, whatever. And uh, I, I was retired about seven years. The lawyer calls me up and says, uh, uh, Rich, listen, I'd like to talk to you about a fire you were at. Uh, Fireman so so with I go, 
He says uh, he was burned at. I go, oh, which fire are you talking about? East 21st or Linden Boulevard? And she goes, what? I go, I, she goes, I go, East 21st or Linden Boulevard? She goes, oh, the one on Linden Boulevard. So then she goes, uh, you happen to remember who was working? And I, I wrapped off every name that was working. She goes, and, and, I, and she says to me, uh, what else do you remember? I says, well, we're out on BI. It was about 11 o'clock, sunny day. Uh, fire out the windows. We pulled up. The guy, there was a guy next door looking to jump. Uh, she goes, excuse me, Lieutenant. Can I, can I just say to you, do you realize this fire was 25 years ago? She says, you're the only guy that even remembers there was a fire. I saw I remember pretty well. And she says, do you remember what time of year it was? I go, well, I remember Christmas tree in the, uh, in the living room. You know, when we pulled in, we, the fire was in the kitchen, down the hallway, out the door. She goes, it was Christmas Eve. <laughs> so <laughs> so uh, I, I, I had quite a memory, you know, and she couldn't believe it. So, uh, but uh, and I said, oh, by the way, I got burned. She said, you got burned too? I said, yeah, I got burned pretty good, but I didn't go sick. It was Christmas Eve. Joe ended up in the burn center for like four days. Uh, you know, fortunately it was nothing too serious, but, uh, you know, but, uh, that's, you know, sometimes that's the way you roll, you know, but, CFD uh, 335, 346 says now, guy, now guys stub their toe and they're off for a year. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hurt feelings. You get sick time. <laughs> <laughs> I was hurt at work today. It's to get, it's like getting salty drop that you uh, often here, uh, you know, so there's that, you know, and that's, that's the thing about, uh, you know, where you were at 248 during that time is that and I remember talking about this with Bobby Gallion from Rescue 2. There was so much work to go around. And given the neighborhoods that you're in and given the severity of the fires, you know, you want to be first due. And it's not that you're there's a dislike there. It's a healthy competition because each company wants to do their best. You know, was there extra pride? Granted, at the end of the day, what matters is putting the fire out. And if there's people inside, evacuating them. But was there extra pride in being first due and not only being first due, but being able to take care of a job without having to call for a rescue? Um, listen, every, everybody always wants to be first due with a fire. Nobody wants to be standing out front watching somebody else put out a fire, especially if it's your fire. You know, <laughs> <laughs> if if it's in your neighborhood and they look at you and say, well, where were you? You know, um, but. I'll tell you the truth. Even when I got promoted, I always, you know, I always try to do the right thing, you know, and, and, and help the company. Um, and yeah, as far as, the, you know, the bravado, I mean, you, you get a reputation after a while. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No You know, uh, like I heard I heard a story about a, a guy talked about 290 and he was in one of the neighboring trucks 
and he was telling a guy from 290, he says, I'm telling you right now, I'm going to tell you this, but if anybody ever asked me, I'm not going to admit it. And he said, the statement he said was, any, I was never worried going a floor above a fire if I knew 290 was, had a line below me. And that's, that's, that's a pretty good statement <laughs> coming from companies around by us, you know? And he said, I'm telling you right now, I'll never admit to that. <laughs> so, <laughs> allegedly. But, yeah, allegedly, yeah. But, um, yeah, the first, everybody wants to get in first due. Um, you know, I, I, I remember, you know, getting in second due. And not, it, it happens, things happen. But I look at the fire and go, listen, if it wasn't for us, they wouldn't have put out the fire. We got them water. We, you know, helped them with the line. You know, back when I was a fireman, I'm like, and these guys are pounding their chest. And I'm going like, oh, my God. <laughs> you know, so um, it, it, it's, listen, it's a team sport being a fireman. All right. Uh, you can solo and all of that. And um, it's a team sport. And if, if one little thing is missing, things go bad. All right. I mean, from, from a guy not placing a ladder, a guy venting too soon, you know, a problem with water, uh, you know, and, but these things do come up too. And it's it just, uh, things happen, but, um, I mean, it's always good to, you know, it, there's always been a, a, a big competition. Um, there's talk in the Bronx, they, they, there's, there's no competition. It's after you, no, after you, you know, but um, uh, I'll, I'll tell a story. One time I was driving and um, we're headed to a box. It's a private dwelling, a private dwelling before nine o'clock or eight o'clock in the morning is usually a good box. It's a fire, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's like one of those close boxes, you know? And uh, I get to the corner and I, I stop at the corner. Now the, comp- the first two company is coming from directly opposite me. And he's like six, eight blocks away. So I stop at the corner and I look down the street. I don't see anything. So I wave the guy in, you know. So all the guy said to me, hey, Rich, what are you doing? Why did you, why did you do that? We had him beat. Why did, you, why did you let him come into the block? I go, listen, because the next time, if they're a half a block away and I see smoke or fire down that block, I'm going to go down and take the fire, all right? And they're going to say, oh, that's Richie. He doesn't do that all the time. What a nice guy. Something must have happened, you know? So I said, you know, you choose your, you choose your places where you want to, you know, get a fire. So uh, the guy's got a kick out of that, though. Oh, okay. Playing the long game. Like, what are you waiting for them for? We're here now. You know, there could be a fire. But I'm like, I just kind of figured there was no fire because private dwelling in the morning like that, you would have had a lot of phone calls, and we weren't getting it. So I think it ended up being just a, you know, an oil burner or something, but it was nothing. But, uh, so you got to pick and choose your, uh, where you, where you, where you step your game up. But, um, I do, I do want to ask you briefly before you continue is I don't know how many med medical runs you guys were doing back then, but it's interesting when you were in 248, you mentioned the crack epidemic, not just that AIDS was happening too. And that was really ravaging the city. Were you doing a lot of medicals during that time? Um, no, because, um, the, the CFR kind of started later on. Okay. When I got, when I got to 290, we were doing a ton of it, a ton of it. Mm. And, you know, we had the AIDS thing going on. And then, you you know, because of the HIPAA law, you, you know, you couldn't ask and, you know, you're trying to get that information. Um, you know, personally, I never figured that you could get it from just handling somebody anyway and all of that. So, uh, um, but, uh, you know, most of the people were good about it. 
And I would ask them like, you know, well, medical history, you know what I mean? And they would go, oh, well, he's got a heart problem, this, that. I said, is there anything else I need to know? And a lot of times they'd say, oh, yeah, she or he's HIV or, or whatever, which was, which was really good. I mean, we you always took the precautions anyway, but it was nice that they even, you know, in, in that time, especially when, uh, you know, um, it was kind of really looked down on that uh, to give out that information. They, they'd give it up. When I was in 248, though, I mean, we did. We went out on medical runs. Uh, I mean, one morning we had a kid hit by a car in Milstrin and uh, church and uh, it was terrible. I mean, and it was, it was, most of us were working. I was, all of us, I think were working like it was our first night tour. So we worked 15 off the next day and then 15 back that night. And it was like a solemn firehouse that night. We all, ref- we all were just eaten up by that kid getting hit, you know, going to school. And, uh, uh, it, we all felt it and you could sense it in the firehouse. Nobody was talking, you know, it, it was, it, and, and I think we just looked at it as like, wow, that could have been our kid, you know? And it was, it's just, it's one of those things where you can't do anything. We couldn't do anything. You know, it isn't like going to a fire and you say, all right, we, we rescued somebody. There was it, it, this poor little kid uh, and her brother was there with her waiting on the corner. So it was a, it was a tough day. Uh, but we, we did go to some medical things like that. I mean, we went to cardiacs and things, but it wasn't anything like later on when, uh, when the CFR came in mm-hmm. and, and that started. Mm-hmm. But Retired Lieutenant Rich Dumig is our guest tonight. This is volume 17 of the best of the bravest interviews with the FDNY's elite more with Rich in just a second, but a shout out to our friends in the live chat. The Pranzos are here, Raquel and her better half retired NYPD street crime Lieutenant and author Peter Pranzo, as well as CFD 335, 346. who had a question earlier and I watch be watch, not your mother's role model, who is a familiar face in the getting salty chat. Thank you, sir or ma'am. Uh, don't want to assume your gender, you know, don't want to get in any trouble right. for tuning in tonight. So, you know, that said, a couple more notes on 284 before I get to your promotion in May of 91. As a nozzleman, and granted, this applies to every company you worked in, but especially during that time when there was so much work to go around, you know, it's not as simple as moving the line in and putting the fire out. There's a lot of complicating factors depending on the buildings that you're operating in. Sometimes there are single resident occupancies, as you talked about earlier, sometimes private dwellings, sometimes businesses, and you don't know if they have anything that's chemical or flammable in them that could further exacerbate the problem. And what's more, you don't want to give up the nozzle. Any good nozzle man that's worth his weight in gold does not want to give up that nozzle. So dealing with those complicating factors where you're just getting beat up, Tell me about refining your craft as a nozzleman and what it takes ultimately in your estimation to be a good nozzleman. Well, it's, it's, it, it all comes in time with, you know, going to fires, you know, not, not everybody that joins the fire department ever been in a fire, you know, and it's, it's that, that learning thing that comes up. I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on. Um, like I know when I was a nozzleman, you know, we had a fire on the top floor of a, a four story multiple dwelling. Um, and the truck takes the door and I'm seeing it light up at the door. And all of a sudden one guy comes flying out, you know, they're trying to make a search. Another guy comes flying out to getting burned. I don't know if there's anybody still in there. So I get water. I just try to, I leapfrog over everybody to get it, to try to get the line between anybody that's there and the fire, you know? And that was some fire. I mean, it's, uh, we, we had a bad, the, the line must have been kinked. I mean, it was a four-story stretch. 
Uh, I was getting burnt. Uh, and it, it's one of those things like they used to tell you, listen, don't open up the line until you actually see the fire, you know? Well, I was getting burnt. And I'm like, hey, let me give it a shot. And I opened <laughs> the line and I figured, let me give it a quick shot and shut it down, you know? Well, it didn't get any worse, but the, the line, the hose line, the water wasn't hitting the ceiling. And I'm trying to move on this fire and just hoping that, okay, maybe eventually I'll get water, you know? But it, it's tough to, you could talk about those things all the time. But I mean, there is some stuff in the books like, well, you know, when you see the, you know, lighting up at the door, the smoke is ready to, you know, to ignite or it's hot gases, you know? So it's, it's really almost like trial and error, you know? I mean, you can read up on a lot of stuff, but um, it all comes and any officer comes in too, you know, he might see something or he might know something like at this fire, I knew I had to go to the right. And the officer's yelling at me, go to, you got to go to the right. I said, I know I got to go to the right. I'm trying to find the right. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, these things happen. And I'll tell you, that's, that's the problem when, if you're in a slower company to, to get that experience and not only that, but let's say you go to a fire today, you don't go to fire six months, you know, you forget what happened six months ago, you know? Um, And it definitely helps when you, you know, to have that, that background, um, as an Oslman, it's funny, but, uh, a lot of the job is getting that line to the fire, you know, and, you know, a lot of Nazman like, Hey, we could put a baby on that front of that line. It's getting that line there. You know what I mean? It's not rocket science to put out, to put the wet stuff on the red stuff, you know? So, um, it, it's, you know, like that talk about, uh, uh, getting a, a Nazman. Oh, he's a great Nazman. I'm like, yeah, he's only as good as the four guys that are behind him. You know, there's a lot of great Nazman because I had, a, had this out with a guy one time. He goes, oh, I'm a great Nazman. I go, really? I said, I think you're only as good as the three guys that are backing you up to get the line there because anybody could, anybody could put it out. You know, I mean, you see reporters, they go to the, the rock and they'll, they'll put out a fire. I mean, with any, without any training, right? Right. <laughs> so, so well, what did you say earlier? Firefighting is a team sport, right? You know, right. it's not, it's not just one guy getting all the glory. I like it. And I think a good analogy is, is a basketball team. You know, if the center puts up, I'll use the old school Knicks of the nineties, Patrick Ewing putting up 35 points. Well, how do he put up 35? Yeah. He hit his shots, but who was getting him the ball? John Starks or Charles right, Oakley. Right. So, I mean, that's the point, you know, it's not yeah, just one guy. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's, the being an Oslman, like I said, it's, you know, it's all about getting the line there. And how did that happen? And without the other guys, it doesn't happen. So uh, it is, a, it is a, a team, team effort. And, you know, you can't get away from that team effort. Right. And that's why it's important. Like when you, you know, your second do a third do, you know, to try to do the right thing. And, and, and uh, you know, cause when, when we, when we lose water at a fire, bad things happen. You know, uh, you got the trucks trying to make rescues, you're, you're venting and, uh, you know, things are happening and without water, um, things go bad really fast. Right. And, and, and we all, everybody always talks about it. Like even in a salty, uh, uh, podcast, they talk about, you know, get the fire out. Things get better real fast. You know, <laughs> so, 
<laughs> yeah, it's true. And you know something, and I think everybody, especially the guys that have moved on to the sock squads or to the rescues understand that because, you know, everybody starts off in an engine company nine times out of 10 or a ladder company. So before they were them, they were you, you know? Right. So I think that they, and they're appreciative because how are you going to make a rescue if you can't see it? I remember watching the still riding documentary that focused on rescue one and rescue two. And Pete Romeo from rescue two was saying it's tough because sometimes, as you said earlier, trying to find the right, he's like, you're trying to find the rear, but you're asking yourself at the same freaking time, where is the rear, you know? Right. That's why you got to put, as you said, the wet stuff on the red stuff and you'll find right. it out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's amazing. But when, when, you, when everybody's in the smoke, it's sometimes like, okay, we're all in the same boat, you know? Yeah. I mean, now they have the camera and stuff, which helps, but it, you know, it's, uh, I, I know back, back in the day, the way I found the fires, if I felt the heat on my face or my ears, okay, it's over that way, you know? We didn't have cameras back then, so it was really just feel and trial and error. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So it's... it's like I said, it's, it, it is a team thing and uh, it's good when it's, when you got a good team behind you, you know, right. from, from the, from the chauffeur, you know, to the, to the officer right up the line. Um, right. I, had a, I had a, we had a fire in a basement and it was just when we went from a uh, five man manning to four man manning. And uh, I had the, the control guy, my control guy that night was uh, the strongest guy I think I ever worked with. And he was outside the window we ended up jumping in a window to go in the basement and we put out the whole basement fire and a fire in the rear yard because the fire was throughout the whole basement out of every window. So after the fire is over, he comes up to me. Uh, his name was Larry O'Donnell. He comes up to me, he goes, you know, boss, I, I don't feel like I really did anything at that fire. I go, Larry, are you kidding me? I said, if it wasn't for you, we don't put out that fire. <laughs> we never once did we ever have to ask for more line. I think, I tell you the truth, I think sometimes Larry was pushing us with the line through the basement. I mean, because, and he was like kind of dejected, like, you know, he felt like he was outside, not part of the team, but he was there doing his job, you know, and it, we didn't have that extra guy. So it was, there was two guys on the line and Larry outside to make sure we had enough line and it was a deep building and we got through it. And, uh, you know, I, I think he felt a little better after that, but uh, here's a guy that, that thought he wasn't part of the team and he was a major player in the team. So, right. uh, 
I, I do want to ask you, you know, getting to May of 91, you got promoted to lieutenant. A guys will take the test years in advance and they got to wait on a list a while unless a crazy circumstances happen and they'll get promoted quicker. First, oh, this is a two part question. When did the idea of wanting to move up pop into your head? And when did you take the test? How many years prior to actually getting promoted in 91? Uh, I think it was uh, like two and a half, three years. Okay. I took the test. Uh, I was in 248 at the time. Um, that's when I made the list. And um, I went to, to, to 113. I, you know, I had, I had worked in the truck here and there. But a lot of times, coming from an engine, if you went to a double company to work in the truck, uh, there was inevitably be a guy in a truck working in the engine. Hey, Rich, you mind if I stay in my own company? Yeah, no problem. You know, uh, every once in a while, I just ask, you know, you ask the guy, listen, you mind if I work in a truck? I'm looking to get a little, little truck time, you know? So, um, uh, what really helped me with the Lieutenant's test, uh, was I have a really good, I had a really good memory. <laughs> wasn't no that, I, was a, I wasn't <laughs> as sharp as knife in the drawer, um, there was, there was a lot of WNYF questions, and I nailed every one of them right. And it was, it was amazing because I remember sitting there going, I could see that question. I could see it's up the right-hand corner, that sentence, you know, and, and, and that really helped me. Um, I was a little bit back on the list. I just, at the point, that point, I just wanted to make the list, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I was fortunate enough to make it. And then I went to 113 and uh, spent 18 months there and uh, – you know, I caught some fires there, uh, worked with some great officers there and, uh, and, and learned a lot about truck work there. Um, I got a great story about 113. Uh, I don't know if you want me to run into it. Sure. Uh, Go ahead. Any story you want to tell? Okay. Well, it's the story. It, it, it's, uh, it's the summer and it's, uh, oh, a hot summer night. I think it's like 92. And it was about the time when the ESU was coming into the emergencies, you know, there was that battle of the badges, things going on with the rescues and, and ESU. Well, we get a run. Uh, I think it was about seven o'clock at night and we get a run for a stuck occupied elevator. So we respond over there and there's a ESU truck parked in front of the building. We don't think nothing of it. So we come in the building. They said the thing was just the elevator was stuck on the fourth floor. So we, we, as we're coming up the stairs, we can hear like a loud voice and this guy, it's echoing throughout the whole building, you know, and as we're getting closer, it's getting louder and louder and louder. So as we get up to the fourth floor, the roof man goes up to kill the power on the elevator and we come up to the fourth floor and there's two ESU guys and they have, I'll tell you, they had tools spread out over the whole floor and there's about eight people around and there's this, this guy who must be like the mayor of the building. And he is giving it to these two ESU guys left and right. I mean, those people be dead by the time you get them out of there. You know, he's going on and on. Thank God the fire department's here now, you know. So we're just kind of, we don't want to get in any controversy here. But if we look in the elevator, there is literally, I think, six people shoulder to shoulder they probably couldn't pass out and faint because there was no way for them to fall down to the floor. All right. So these two guys, these two, I felt, I really felt bad for them. They're covered in sweat. They got tools. I even think they carried a hearse tool to the fourth floor. So with it now, now on top of the people that are there, these two guys got, you know, another eight sets of eyes watching what they're doing. So, mm-hmm. 
that now they're rushing to try this, try that. So finally, uh, th- this guy says, why don't you let the fireman try, you know? So the lieutenant just says to him, uh, guys, you, you want us to give it a go? So the guy just gives, he gives a nod. <laughs> the lieutenant takes the elevator keys, flips them to Bruce, who's probably only opened like a thousand elevators. He's been in 113 for 17, right? He goes, he goes over to the door, and in two seconds, boom, boom, the door comes open. Well, you know what happens with this guy now. I told you guys an hour ago to call the fire department. You didn't listen to me. And he's going on and on. And <laughs> so we get the people out. Lieutenant goes to the two guys. Are you guys okay? They go, yeah. <laughs> okay, we're taking up. Give me your name. That's it. We're gone. But that guy, I'm telling you, he must have been riding those two cops. for. I, you know, it was terrible. And, and the worst part about it is probably – these guys were like thrown into the ring, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, elevators, some of them are knack. You had to know the right key. Or, you know, you had, you had to kill the power. I mean, these guys probably went into this with, with, with very little training, right. you know? So in now, fairness, yeah. now they have it. Now they yeah. can do it easily, yeah. it, you know, but that back then, uh, yeah. In, in it was fairness to them. And, but right. this, this guy was relentless and he was loud, you know? I mean, I, I got to tell you, we were grinning when we left because just because everything was going on. But uh, but working at 113, we always got we got, you know, and 249, uh, we, we always got longer with the precinct. We never had any, you know, issues, you know. We used to have issues with meter mates and stuff like that, but not that. <laughs> well, that, well, I think everybody has issues with meter mates, to be yeah. fair. I mean, and let it go, don't get me wrong. I love cops, but I got issues with meter mates, too, yeah. believe me. You know, well, I can't have that many issues. My mom was a meter maid for a while, oh, okay. you know, here in New Haven. So I got, I got to take it easy, Ma. I love you. Don't get me mad at me. But yeah. no, it's, I think it's, it's funny because it's changed so much. I remember one of my guys from the bomb squad. He was, he was in one truck in Manhattan before he went out to the bomb squad in, in 02. He was telling me he's like, this by this point it had changed dramatically. In the mid '90s, he's running up uh, to an elevator in Manhattan. One truck had happened to get there first. And he's calling one truck. He's like, I need this, this, and that. By now they have the training. By now they know what to do. And uh, he hears a voice calling for the same exact equipment from the wet from Rescue One. He turns around. It's Paul Hassagan. And he turns to Hassagan. He's like, I guess we're working this one together. He's like, Hassagan goes, yeah, absolutely. And they end up, you know, hand in hand, as they do many times now, working together, getting the people out in short order. But back then, God, it must have been, as you said, poor guys it must have been torture for them. Oh, yeah. 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 It's, it's, it's a lot different. Um, I never had issues, even when I was in 290, you know, we, you know, uh, dealing with, with the ESU or, you know, anybody like that. Uh, I, I was actually more than happy to turn it over to them. You know, if those guys were there and they're working, because uh, I'd just soon be available to go to a fire opposed to, you know, using the jaws of life to open a door when there's somebody just sitting in the car, nothing wrong with them, mm-hmm. you know? And a lot of times I can remember going up, they go, hey, guys, I got the door open the other side. You want to just slide them across opposed to, no, we got it. Okay, you got it. All right, give me a name. And I would take up. I said, you need us? No, okay, we're gone, you know. Um, so I never minded, you know, I, to me it was not something to roll around the street with. You know? um, uh, but like I said, I, I wanted to be available for a fire if it came in, you know, because you could get tied up at those things for a long time, especially yeah. if it's just kind of nonsense, you know, stuff, you know. Yeah, if it's so, tedious, and, yeah. and so and they and they have a great mastery over pin jobs. I think they call them fifty threes. 
And, you know, they're able to do that. Collapse Rescue, they're able to do that. And, and I think what's helped it, before I continue on your career, is FEMA. When, when Downey, two guys, Ray Downey and Mike Core from ESU, when they put together the task force, one, comprised the ESU guys from PD and FDNY guys, that I think really ended it because I, I, you know, my people saw it firsthand. My family, um, being Dominican, of course, we got hit hard by Hurricane George in '98. Those guys did wonders down there in the DR, and they did wonders in Oklahoma City. Did wonders locally after Sandy. Right, right. Yeah, I, so, I think it, it was just, it was just a change. You know, everybody never, never, nobody ever likes change, and I think that's what it was. You know, right. Um, it's tough for everybody. Yeah, it, it's tough. You know, but. I, I try not to get too involved with the politics at times, you know, yeah. uh, which made it a lot easier. <laughs> and sure. plus, you know, plus working in East New York, I needed them and they needed me, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, for altercations, stuff like that. We were there, you know, when the mm-hmm. shots were fired, we needed them. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I mean, uh, but no, uh, sure. there was, a, yeah, there was, a, you know, in East New York was a, uh, the gunfire and stuff. Well, it's still going on. I know, but unfortunately, um, at, at one point it was, I, I tell you, I was so disgusted at one point. Uh, we, we go to a, go to a project and this kid is shot in the arm and I couldn't believe he, he, he died, but he was shot at a bullet hole in his arm. We're in the middle of the thing. And I'm like, I, I don't know how many kids were shot that summer. I, I tell you, I, I wanted to take the rig, pull it in the middle of the, the plaza there Go on a loudspeaker and say, when are we going to, when is this going to stop? Go in your kids' bedrooms, go in your apartment and bring all the guns down to me. You know, then I was going, yeah. wait a minute, if I do that, they might just do that. And <laughs> they might just bring the guns down. But I'll tell you, you got to start somewhere. And I think maybe the religious groups and the cops should get together and go through these neighborhoods and say, listen, you want this to stop? I mean, what, we had a 13-year-old girl, right? Killed. Yeah. 11, 11 by a 15 year old kid. Right. I mean, the kids are not carrying these guns around with them all the time. They're in the bedroom. They're under the bed. They're in the apartment. They're in the house. I mean, and get the parents say, listen, you want it to stop? We may not be able to stop it, but we could put a a halt on some of it. You know, that's the Uh, rich. That's the problem. Where are the parents? Where are the parents? Yeah, I yeah, I well, I don't know if it's the parents or the kids. You know, hey, listen, when when we were kids, right? You wanted to hide something from your parents, you found a way. So that's true. I mean, that's uh, true. you know, so I you can't always throw it all on the parents, but I mean, it, the stuff that was going on in East New York back then, I mean, it was tragic. You know, sixteen-year-old mm-hmm. kids, you know, shot in the head, and it was a tough time. Tough time. I mean, I used I used to sit in the firehouse on night tours and. Uh, Listen to gunfire outside the office and going, you think I should dive under the under the desk? You know, I'm doing paperwork or something, and it's bang, 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 all, you know, all night long. And I'm like, this is just unbelievable. You know, mm-hmm. fortunately, knock on wood, uh, uh, you know, nothing really ever happened. Uh, I do have one story where I was probably real lucky. Um, we uh, we got to run. Uh, it was about 7.30 at night. We get a run to uh, Flatlands, a hotel in Flatlands near Penn. So uh, we go out. We're first to us in the truck. We're first to. So uh, I go and check it out. It was nothing. They thought they had a fire in the room. It was nothing. So uh, while I'm, I'm ready to take up, my chauffeur calls me and says, hey, Lou, there's a good box coming in, a report of a fire. I go, where? 
across the street from the firehouse. I go, what? Put us available. All right. So we, we become available. The box had already been out. So 332 and 175 got the box. What ended up happening was there was two guys arguing in the, in the hallway. They were actually brothers. And one guy yelled, the one brother yelled to the other brother, you're going to fire on me? The lady in the back apartment thought they were yelling fire. <laughs> she, she called in a fire. Okay. If we didn't have that run, I would have been the first guy through that door. And if this brother shot his brother, this guy shot his brother, what would he have done to me? And those coats weren't stopping a bullet. So it's almost like fate that we caught that. I'm telling you, if we didn't catch that run, certainly who knows how many guys would have been shot. But I I know I wouldn't have jumped on the rig. I would have been right through that front door because it was directly across the street. And this guy had shot his brother and, and, and ran out. I think he shot him twice, matter of fact. But, uh, but talk, how lucky was I? I mean, we're talking literally uh, five minutes. If that, if, if that run comes in, you know, five minutes earlier, you know, who knows where it would have went. And not only for me, maybe, you know, the other guys too. Uh, so it, it talk about, uh, you know, sometimes you just got to be lucky. And, yeah. uh you know, but that's what kind of gun nonsense was going on in that neighborhood. But, uh, I think you know this person, Jeanette Mulholland. She says, not your kids. We were perfect, Lieutenant Dumick. Yeah, yeah. You know who that is. That's my daughter, <laughs> <Yeah>. my oldest. <laughs> Appreciate you tuning in, Jeanette. I, I do want to ask you, though, you know, the night that night before you started as lieutenant officially in the 12th Division, you know, we all Monday morning quarterback in our heads about anything. But you're thinking, your, I, mean, or I imagine you're thinking to yourself, you know, how do I – establish myself as a leader i don't want to be a bad lieutenant i don't want to look as i don't want the guys to look at me like i'm a joke so the night before you know take me through your game plan in your head and your nerves too to making sure that you hit the ground running as a newly promoted lt well one thing about my last tour in the fire in 113 um we catch a fire in a store and i'm in there searching the fire was up in the mezzanine and i i feel something i go no way i thought i found I thought I found somebody on my last night in 113. It ended up being like a big sack, but it felt just like a body. And I was like, <laughs> so that was my, my last night in 113. But, you know, one thing about the promotion, you know, at, at first, you know, I'm worried, about, I'm worried about the paperwork, you know. I'm like, I was never a big paperwork guy. I had no college. So, but one thing about the fire department, it was set up in structure where – if you went into the file in any firehouse in the city, it was set up the same, you know, meritorious acts would be in a certain place, you know, administration. So if you had anything to do in the last 150 years, somebody probably did it ahead of you, you know? So all you had to do is go in the file and pull out, you know, like meritorious act. Okay. Pull out a meritorious act and see what the guy wrote. Not that I copied what the guy wrote, but you get an outline of, okay, I know where this is going, you know, or for a fire reporter, you know. So it got to the point, I says, wow, this is real easy. And I'm telling you, like, even when I got to 290, there was there was reports and, and memos and stuff in there from the 70s. And I was there in 1990. So, uh, you know, it, I, so I got to, I got promoted and I'm, I'm going around going, this paperwork is easy. Now I start thinking like, 
how am I going to be at fires? You know, now the fires got me worried. You know, I got this paperwork thing down pretty good, but now it's the fires, you know. But like I said, it's the worst thing is it's not easy being a boss. You go from worrying about really one person, you know, you just got to take care of yourself, you know, and, and, and get your stuff in order. Now I got to worry about four, five, maybe more, you know. I mean, you know, like it, it, it being in the engine, if the truck gets in trouble, I'm worried about them. I got to worry about my own guys. And, and you know, when you, like when you're working in the truck, even the engine, you know, guys get separated, the guys outside, guys inside, guys on the roof. Um, you know, things could happen and it's beyond kind of beyond my control. And I'll tell you, my my worst fear was having to face a family, uh, you know, of, 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 a, of, a, of a brother lost. And them looking at me, and I know what they're thinking. Well, my son, daughter, you know, husband is gone, and why are you still here? You know? Um, and I'll tell you, um, uh, let me see, three years after I retired, we lost Richie Scafani on a Sunday. Black Sunday, yeah. Yeah, and uh, I probably would have been working uh, that tour. And because the captain and I were doing, would do 24s, and, and – uh, the captain always needed Sundays off for football. So I, I, <laughs> I inevitably was working Sundays. Um, but, uh, you know, that was one of my greatest fears. And I, at, at that point, you know, when I, after I got to the 24, I was so happy that, you know, I mean, don't get me wrong. I had guys I had, I, that sent them home by way of uh, uh, Brookdale Hospital or Kings County Hospital, but they got home. And, right. and, and I'll tell you the truth, I – you know, you talk about fires and beating companies in. My biggest thing was, I don't care who puts out the fire. I just want to get everybody home, yeah. you know. And that was one of my biggest things. Like, I could care less if, a, if I hand a civilian a guard, I was going to put it out. I mean, I mean, just whatever puts the fire out and gets everybody home, you yeah. know. That was real important to me. But just another thing about, about Richie Scafani, uh, who was a really a great guy. Um, but uh, two years ago before, before the COVID I was on a cruise to Mexico and I'm at the pool and I'm, you know, kibitz and talking to a guy and he goes, uh, Hey, where are you from? I go, well, I'm, I'm from New York. I go Queens. He goes, Oh yeah, me too. So what part of Queens? I said, Rockaway. He says, Oh, he says, I'm up from, uh, you know, up near mass, but somewhere up there. He goes, uh, Oh, I got it. He says, what do you do? I said, I was a fireman. He goes, Oh, I brought him along. My cousin's a fireman. Maybe you know them. I said, well, where'd they work in Brooklyn? He goes, no, the Bronx. He puts out the names. I don't know him, you know? So he's sitting there. Now, picture this. It's, it's 95 degrees. We're on a cruise ship in the sun. And then the guy says to me, he goes, maybe you know my really dear friend. And he goes, look at me. He, his arms, he's getting goosebumps. His arms and his legs, all goosebumps. I go, who's your friend? He goes, Richie Scafani. I was like, are you kidding me? Now, this is February. I had just been to his memorial mass two weeks before, you know? And I was like, I, I was like, I was amazed. I just couldn't believe it. And, he, and the guy was like, look at me, you know, just him thinking about Richie. And, and I felt it was almost like a, something from him going, you know what, Rich? I'm okay. I'm okay. You know, because that I never experienced anything that weird before in my life. And that was, and I'm telling you, it was 90 to five degrees. You know, this guy shouldn't have been getting the chills sitting out in the sun at the pool, you know. But uh, so we talked a little further and, uh, you know, talked about Richie and 
but he was a great guy and a tough loss, you know. Yeah, that, but, that, that, if you look back, I think in the decade of the 2000s, the only day worse than that one, Black Sunday, of course, is 9 11, you know, but right. that, you know, maybe in the Father's Day fire too in June of 01. But that, that was, uh, I mean, it's one thing to lose guys in, in one incident, that's terrible enough, but to have two separate incidents, you know, on the same day, on the yeah. same day uh, you know, you can't even fathom it, you know. Right, right. Yeah. Um, yeah, then, you know, well, we had, we had a couple of tracks, well, we Atlantic Avenue, we had, uh, and then Vandalia, which was, was, was tragic. Both in 98, uh, six yeah. months apart. I think Atlantic was June of 98, Vandalia, December. Vandalia was in December. Yes. Yeah. And, um, I was, it, it was crazy. I was working the night before and the day after. And I remember a Lieutenant was covering who I knew, um, was working, was working in a truck with me the night before windy night. And then Vendaya was the next night. And he goes, Richie, we were working together the night before. If that was the night before, that's you and me at that fire, you know, um, what was crazy about that. And I, I still live a little bit about that fire. I did the inspection on the building in April, um, the BI inspection. And, uh, uh, I, I gone through the building and, you know, I always felt like, what did I do wrong? How did I miss? Because the problem in that building was the sprinklers were out on that floor. And, and, and I, I kept reliving the fire and, 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 and the fact that those guys got killed. And I'm saying, did I contribute to that? Because I, I didn't ask enough questions in the building. And crazy as it seems, officers normally don't get off the rig to go into the building with the men for BI. But I did because I hadn't been in the building a long time. I had never been in the basement. So I went in with the guys and we, we, we checked the book to make sure they were doing these sprinkler inspections. Uh, we went down the basement. I checked the valve, make sure the valve was on. Uh, we started going to a build, through the building and then a run came in. We took in the run and, uh, you know, I, I made them go back to finish the inspection and the men were mad. <laughs> I, I dragged them back there. And it, what, what came to play is, um, this, I don't know whether it was the city or the job, but somebody was looking to get somebody for this fire. And they, I think they were looking at me for the inspection. So we had a rotation kid that was working with us and uh, they got him downtown first to sit in front of these lawyers. And they were asking questions like, well, what did the Lieutenant do? And he says, well, the Lieutenant got off the rate, came in with us. They, they actually, at one point, I think called him a liar. That's a lie. So what are you talking about? It's a lie. Lieutenants in this, Officers in this job do not get off the rig and go in a building. He says, well, I don't know what that, everybody else does, but he did, you know? So he says, well, what happened then? You know, and we, they said, well, we went to the building, you know, everything we, I discussed, we, we did, you know? So then um, they, they, they said, and then what happened? He says, uh, well, then we had a run. And uh, he says, all right, you had the run. Then what did you do? You went for lunch, didn't you? He says, no, we went back to the building and the men were complaining. <laughs> so the kid, the, the, the young fellow actually made it better for me that, you know, I mean, at first I think they thought they got him because they thought everybody's going to be lying. Like there was a big cover up, like we did something wrong. And what, what happened with this building, it wasn't, it wasn't uh, a city building. So it didn't come under city code. And they had these section valves in the ceiling. Now, the reason why we don't have that stuff is because you'll never know if a section valves off. We always check the main valve. We had, I had no idea there was any kind of section valves. Certainly if I knew that we would have checked it. And, and the crime is I, I, I had the guys in the building and I go, you know, guys, we're never going to have a serious fire in this building. 
This is six months before. And they go, why, Lou? I said, you see those things? Those sprinklers. We're going to have a fire, but it won't be a major fire. Little did I know, all right? Yeah. A, wind, a windblown fire. But, I mean, even to this day, I, I kind of go over, Did could I have done something different? Did I, you know, contribute to that, that loss, you know? Because I, I did the inspection, you know? And I, I felt I always kind of, you know, did the, the best inspection. But you're always looking back saying, maybe I should have asked more questions. And But it, it's so far out of the realm because we don't have those kind of buildings. We have one main sprinkle valve, you know, in the, in the, in the, in the basement, unless I think some uh, high rise, multiple dwellings have, they used to have section valves, but it was in the incinerator chute or near, near there. So you could isolate the thing. But there again, it wasn't a, you know, came under our uh, city code. So that was, that was a tough one for me. Uh, you know, and like I said, I, I, here and there, I still, you know, uh, kind of every once in a while drift back and, so like I said, I, I remember that inspection like it was yesterday, getting off and going in with the guys and, and, and going through the building and having them, you know, do the best inspection possible. And uh, uh, I know a lot of officers would say. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Thank God, Rich, you did the inspection. I'd be in jail right now. <laughs> because it was the type of building where you were like, it's a fireproof building. What could go wrong here? Right. And, you know, and it did go wrong. So, yeah. Um, that was, that was such a deadly year for the department, too. I mean, not counting, I think, another fireman who died of a heart attack, which you unfortunately see a lot as well. Right. He fought a fire, I think, in April of 98. I forget his name. I mean, outside of, again, 2001, to lose six guys in a single year. I mean, I know during the 60s and the 70s, it was even more deadly, but I can't even fathom. Six guys in the same year and separate incidents, granted, but three of them you lose and. and in one given fire. I think Atlantic right. Avenue was a collapse situation that killed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'll tell you, we, we were fortunate that more guys weren't killed Atlantic Avenue. I didn't have, the, I didn't have the fire, but uh, I mean, the four gave way. Those guys went down uh, into the store. Uh, Timmy Stackpole was buried. And another guy was buried. Uh, the Lieutenant of the engine was killed. The captain. Scotty uh, LaPietra. Yeah. He, he lived uh, a couple weeks, a week, two weeks, something like that. A week, a couple of days. I don't remember exactly, but uh, um, I think on the getting salty, uh, the, the the chief was on there, uh, Gilduff. I think he mm-hmm. had the fire, yeah, and he talks. Have. He talks about um, they were frame buildings. They, they were lucky they didn't have a major collapse in that building while they were digging them out. I mean, I'll tell you the truth. It's 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 really a miracle they got them out because the fire was still raging while those guys are in there trying to dig these guys out, and it wasn't it wasn't coming easy either. I mean. Timmy was buried in there a long time. Um, so uh, that was, like I said, it's, we were fortunate we didn't lose more people. I mean, we could have lost every one of those guys that went to the floor and fell down there, plus probably another 10 guys that were in there trying to dig them out. Um, fortunately, uh, um, we, they got Timmy out and they got the guys out, but uh, we, lost, we lost guys there and it was tragic. And uh, just to, to relate about that fire, I went there. I think it was the day after 
you know, we figured, oh, let me go check out the fire. I heard about the job. We drive down there, and the buildings were down already. There was a, nothing but a flat lot. And there was a guy there, and I don't know who he was. I, I'm guessing he was a fine one of the companies. But here's this guy down there with his dog, and he's kind of talking about this thing. And I'm like, this guy's in trouble, you know? I mean, he's just like he's not thinking clear, you know, I mean, there's nothing here. It isn't like you could see anything. There's no memorial. I mean, it's just a lot and they got a fence around. I mean, and this guy's kind of walking around the streets aimlessly with his dog. And I'm like, I think I got back to the firehouse and I talked to the chief and I, I think I made a call and said, listen, this, I don't know, this guy's walking around here with some serious issues, you know, and rightfully so, um, you know, he, you know, guys, uh, when something that ha- happens, they think like, oh, maybe I did something wrong or, you know, like you'll get chauffeurs, like things happen, burst length, you know, lose water, uh, bad hydrant, you know, and, and and those are the guys everybody forgets about, you know, yeah. that, that are taking it hard, you know. I, and I, to this day, I don't know who that guy was or what company he was affiliated with, but I knew he had to be tied in with, with one of the companies or uh, you know, or somebody that was at the fire and it, it was like he was numb. So, uh, uh, you know, I, I think I passed that along the job, said, listen, these guys, you got to get some counseling going, something. And, and the counseling, I think it was just starting up back then. I didn't even know if it was really. It, it, it didn't take off until after 9-11. Yeah, yeah, I don't think it was full-fledged. And <clears throat> I mean, it, you know, after a while, like, uh, you know, you go to a fatal fire, it was right back on the rig, go to another fire. Yeah. You know, it was never like, all right, guys, listen, go, you know, take the rest of the tour. You know, you, you rescue three people and they all died or something. Take the rest of the tour, you know, and it, it shows them, guys. I mean, you, the Happy Land fire, you look at the video of that, you can see the guys are all numb. Mm-hmm. I mean, these guys not only four to five, but now they're moving bodies. And it, you, if you looked at it and you, you didn't know what they went through, you'd say, look at these guys. It's disrespectful what they're doing. You know, they're moving bodies like they're moving wood. But they were just shell shocked, you know, and and that that was quite a fire they had, you know, and and I think there again they they got the fire out real fast, thinking like oh everything's good. And meanwhile they lost what eighty eight people, right? Eighty people. Yeah, about was, about. Know? So uh, you know, it's uh, the council units come a long way. I think, and it's a good thing, you know, uh, that that and you know what happens with firemen and cops and everybody, you know. I don't need any counseling. I don't need to talk to anybody, you know, but yeah, some people, they need to just take a break. Uh, I found from working in neighborhoods, like uh, even the end of my career in East New York, I got to the point I was, you know, I think you get burnt out and I I don't think it it, it has nothing to do with the neighborhood, East New York. I think no matter what neighborhood you work in, you spend enough time there, all of a sudden, you know, everything bothers you. Everything gets to you. You know, I mean, I think it's like I said, no matter what neighbor you're in, but towards the end of my career, I remember one day we get a, we were getting calls for uh, these guys uh, uh, that were drunk. We were getting EMS call after EMS call. Uh, One guy had him like 10, 11 times, you know, and I was like, I had had enough. Like, you know, first of all, I knew these guys were Vietnam vets. They were, they were, they were laying in the street, overserved by the liquor store. So um, I used to get the EMS guys. I said, guys, can't we get these guys into some, can't you take, never mind take them to the hospital. Can't we get them into program something? He says, Lou, listen, we can take them there. 
but they don't have to stay. They can just walk right out. All right. He said, but listen, I'll try again. All right. Well, this day I had had enough 11 o'clock in the morning. This guy's passed out. So we go there. We're starting to check on the guy. We get him. I said, guys, come on. I go into the guy's store, the liquor store. I drag him in the liquor store. The guy starts screaming at me. Get that guy out of here. I said, no, I'm not getting him out of here. I'm treating him in your store. Right. Guy says, I'm going to call the cops. I said, I don't care who you call. So while the guys are checking him out, I'm using one of the guys' chairs in the store. They're checking him out. And this guy and I are having a screaming match through the bulletproof glass. Right. He's going to call the cops, have me arrested. I said, do that. I don't care what you do. So we, we, uh, we, we, the guys treat the guy. The EMS comes. We take him out. We load him in the ambulance. A lieutenant from the uh, 75 precinct comes and he goes, uh, uh, Lou, uh, what's going on here? I said, what's going on? I said, this guy is over serving these guys. He's got them with it. They're almost dead. They're laying in the street. I said, it's tragic what's going on. I said, I've had enough of it. You know? So he says to me, what? So he goes, all right, all right, Lou, hold on a minute. So he goes in and talks to the store owner, right? So first he talks to me, he talks to the owner. He comes back out. He goes, hey, Lou, uh, this, this guy wants me to have you arrested. I said, do it. Go get the cufflinks. Put them <laughs> on me. I said, I had enough. I said, maybe we'll get something done. I said, these guys, it's a criminal thing that's going on here, you know? And he goes, arrest you? No, I, now he's probably thinking like front page of Daily News. Right, exactly. I mean. One PP is going to come down on yeah. him. And I'm like, yeah, you know what? I'm probably going to get serious mm-hmm. trouble for this. But I'm like, if it's going to get something done with these guys, you know, I'll, I'll go for it, you know? And the guys, my guys are all looking at me like, oof, lieutenant's lost it. <laughs> Maybe we better get somebody here to take care of them, all right? So what ends up happening, he goes, well, he goes talk to the store owner again. He goes, Lou, listen, I got to work out with the store owner. How about we just go in and get together, have a little discussion, you know? I, I, I said, listen, don't you like the way I'm handling the community here? You know? So he, he gets me in there and he says, all right. He says, I'll tell you what. If he agrees not to overserve the guys anymore, blah, blah, blah. Will you stop taking them into his store to treat them? You know, so I begrudgingly go in. I shake his hand. I, I go, all right. You know, he, he kind of the, the cop was the mediator here and he got it. Um, he got it squared away where I wasn't getting arrested. The store owner was OK. He kind of got where I was coming from. I said, listen. Stops over-serving these guys. You're just killing them. You know, I mean, I understand you got a business, but I mean, and there was like four or five of them that was regularly in the street. I mean, we go there four o'clock in the morning, 11 o'clock at night, you know, but uh, crazy, tragic end to this story. This guy, I knew him on a first name basis because I've been there with him so many times. Right. I'm retired five years. There's a little article, um, I don't know, 20 pages deep in a newspaper. A man is beaten to death by five kids in a park on New Lots Avenue. It was that guy. That guy. That's terrible. Yeah. And I was like, I was, I was just, I I couldn't, first of all, I couldn't believe I stumbled on this, this article, but five, five kids beat this guy to death in a, in a, in, in a, in a park on New Lots Avenue. And I'm like, this is, this is tragic. Cause I mean, here's a guy who I think was a Vietnam vet, mm-hmm. you know, 
and and I think most of them were, you know, and and this is what happened. So, like I said, you know, you you get to a point in your career, I think you just you need a break, you know. Right. I often wonder, like, if the job shouldn't go around, and whether you're in a slow company, a busy company, say, go into a company, say, listen, you five guys want to, you know, a month or two months go to X company, you know, not make them, but request them, you know. And maybe a guy that, you know, guys that work in, a, in, a, in an area of private dwellings will go to multiple dwellings and bring their private dwelling skill there and, and vice versa. So, but do it on a voluntary basis. Normally the fire department goes like they have this rotation. No, you got to go. You got to go for eight months, 10 months, which, which could be good because these young kids could see other areas of the city. And, and so. if, if they're in busy places, they can, you know, pass along what they know to the guys that aren't, you know, uh, aren't so busy, you know. To, so, to, to, uh, to your point, though, I, I do want to say, you know, the guys that uh, you mentioned, those guys being Vietnam vets. Unfortunately, it's not really the war overseas that kills them as much as it is, as it is the war at home, common right. home, the PTSD. You know, obviously dipping, self medicating, drugs, alcohol, Unem- un- unemployment, where they live, unemployment, living. depression. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's it's, it's, a, it's a lethal combination. Yeah, it's, 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 tragic, it's tragic. You know, yeah. Um, it's it's a shame, but like I said, uh, I I got to the point. That's why when uh, after nine eleven, you know, and uh, and all that, I kind of got to the point. Like, uh, um, I think I've had enough. You know, mm. I've had enough. You know, but uh, and 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 I probably had a lot easier than most guys. So uh, you know, uh, like I said, I'm probably preaching to the choir. You know. So wait a minute. Let me. So let me ask you. Even without nine eleven. And, you know, and I see I saw your story and getting salty. It was, it was you talked. We talked a lot about fate off there. It was definitely fate for you that day. Even without 9-11, you were probably thinking about retiring anyway. That summer of 01. Um, tell you the truth. No, I really wasn't. Mm-hmm. OK. You know, um, yeah, I didn't. You know, and if if um, if the pension hadn't hit me with the numbers, like I told guys, I would have been 65 still running up and down the projects in East New York, probably, <laughs> you know. Uh, cause that's the kind of job it is, you know, it's just, uh, it's a, I'll tell you, it's a very tough job to leave and it's a very jo- tough job to transfer from place to place. And that's why, you know, some guys have trouble with promotion too. You're in a firehouse eight, 10 years, all kinds of friendships, and then you move on, you know, right. and sometimes the moves can be great, you know, good for you and, and good for the job too. So. Well, let me ask you, cause that's an interesting point. It segues perfectly into what I want to ask you. So in 98, when Downey gets the squads up and running in Brooklyn alone, you get two five two with Eddie Metcalf as captain, and you get one squad one. So when you're talking about, I don't know if if uh, two ninety lost guys by happenstance to sock, but if you did, having to mitigate, I mean, you're happy for the guys; it's a great step up in their careers. But having to mitigate the loss of their skill set and expertise, how does a lieutenant and a non sock uh, firehouse manage that? Well. We, we did lose some guys. A couple of guys went to rescue and some, I mean, I'm not talking about, you know, just a regular guy. These, these guys were good guys. All right. Knowledge, time in the company. I mean, the kind of guys like, uh, you know, I didn't have to worry about uh, doing anything with the men. They took care of that. You know, they were like the junior lieutenants in the firehouse, you know, senior guys. Um, but fortunately, you know, when you have a lot of background and you're doing the job every day, um, it, you know, it, there's guys that are going to fall into that slot. It, we were fortunate, like, uh, I'm trying to think, I think maybe one, two, 
maybe three or four guys ended up going to rescue. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, but but it wasn't like okay today eight guys went. You know, that's that's a lot. You know, so like one guy would go, and then another guy, then maybe two. So we didn't get we you know we didn't lose a whole big nucleus. You know, where we went from having you know uh, twenty senior guys to having ten probies and you know. The four chauffeurs and, and, and four, you know, senior guys. So, uh, which would be a lot for any senior guy to handle. But uh, so, we, you know, and, and at that time, too, we were still going to a lot of fires. Um, and, uh, you know, so it didn't take long for a probie to all of a sudden, not that he's a senior man, but he's got a pretty good idea what's going on. Mm-hmm. And I can remember one kid came to the firehouse. He was there. He got there in, I think, March. And uh, he just... Uh, he just was catching it. I mean, fire after fire, you know, and He's we black a, cloud. Yeah. And we had a guy, we had a guy come over on a detail with nine years and he worked in Rockaway and, uh, you know, and the, and the guy goes to him, Hey kid, uh, how many fires have you been to? And he goes, uh, you know, cause he heard he was a probie, you know, he says the first one you get here, I got here in March. How many fires you been to? He goes, well, what are you talking about? Just all hands or second alarms? You know, he goes, just fire any fires he says oh i don't know he says about nine fires he goes you've been to nine fires in in two and a half months guy goes he goes he goes yeah and i know he had you know and the guy says hey kid i'm on a job nine years i haven't been to nine fires you're telling (laughs) me what the nine fires you know but he just and was that every day no he just there was a stretch there when he was just his group, you're right. Black Cloud was knocking him dead, you know. But it was kind of comical, the guy saying, "Hey, kid, I've been in nine fires in my nine years on the job." <laughs> I do have a question here, yeah. and I uh, and I want to get to it. I, I, and uh, it's been there, it's been there a while. It comes from CFD three thirty five, three forty six. He's going back to when you first became lieutenant in ninety one. How long before his first job as a boss? And he says ninety, but it's ninety one. Do you remember it? Uh, um. At- is he talking about it in 290 or is because a lot of times. Oh, as a boss in 290, right. As how yeah, long okay. His, okay. My bad CFD. How long before your first that, job as a boss in 290? My, I'll never forget my first job. It was really comical. Um, it was a night tour. It was like five after six. We get a run. Uh, I think it was Wortman was the it was the street. So it comes across as a fire at, uh, I don't know, whatever, 2881 Wortman, let's say. All right. No apartment. Ha- I know it's an apartment house because I've been a neighbor a while. And, uh, you know, it's it, I think it was 12 stories. So no apartment number or anything. Right. So I pull up. I mean, there's nothing going on. People, some people walking out. So I'm walking up to the building. It's a it's a we use a standpipe there. It's a standpipe building. So the guys would would be going for the roll ups and stuff like that. So I, I get almost to the door of the building. And I asked the chauffeur, I said, hey, you know, get a 10-7, see if you can find out location. So with that, some guy comes walking out the door. He says, uh, I said, hey, uh, is there a fire here? He goes, uh, oh, yeah. He goes, yeah, in a calm voice, right? So he goes, yeah, come on with me. So we go through the lobby, and then there was another door that went out into the big yard between a couple of buildings, you know, huge yard. And there's 40 people out there. It's a summer night, all right? Well, it's in June, but it's a nice night. So I'm looking around. I go, where's the fire? He goes like this. I look up. It's out the windows on the ninth floor. 
fires out the windows on the ninth floor. So, but never on the first floor. Never. No, ninth floor. So with that, you know, I call the show for now. I said, cancel the callback. I said, Tran, tell them to transmit the box. We got a fire in the you know, ninth floor of this building, you know? So now, uh, the, the, now the guys are coming in. So you couldn't see it in the street. I could only see it because I was out in the, in the courtyard there. So we, we get the elevator going up in the elevator. It's just, uh, the guys go, Lou, what, what do we got? We got a fire or something? I go, it's out two windows on the ninth floor. They go, what? <laughs> so we get up there. And then uh, fortunately, I, the chauffeur was doing the right thing. And we get up there and we charge the line. But the line, standpipe lines uh, are, are not good until you actually get them supplied by the engine. There's only a minimum amount of pressure. Sometimes it's barely enough to put out, you know, any kind of major fire. So, but we get in there and it's the, the it's like a garden hose. And, and now we're waiting for this chauffeur to start water on the standpipe. So he starts water. We put out, but that was my first fire. And naturally I get ribbed by the guys like, Oh yeah, Lou. Oh yeah. Ask for 10, seven. And all of a sudden, Oh, 10, 75, you know, <laughs> work at fire, you know? So, uh, you know, the guys, the guys are good that way. You know, they, they, they never miss a chance to like, uh... well, listen, if they, if they don't bust your chops, that means they don't like it. Then you're really yeah, in trouble. Yeah, if they're, that's, that's when you really got to worry if they're not busting your chops. Right. Right. Oh, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I have, I have another great story about a fire, another standby building in, in Brownsville. Mm-hmm. We go over there. It's, um, it was a night tour. I think it was about, I'm, I'm working. I think it was about seven o'clock comes in fire, uh, top floor, multi-story building standpipe job again so uh we go there we're second due uh 120 and 231 had the fire so we get up there and 231's guys there that they're, they're getting a line set up we had their control guy said all right you move up we'll get you straightened out here the guy's hooking up to the standpipe uh the guys are stretching the line to the door i'm in the hallway um i hear on the radio uh the roof guy's talking about he's there's six people at a window and he's setting up for a roof rope rescue. I mean, this is like, this is way up there. I mean, 12th floor, 11th floor. And and the and meanwhile, the hallway's charged. So the lieutenant's calling him on the radio going, hold up, hold up. I think I think we're going to get it, you know. And I think in the, in the apartment, there was six in the back. There was like 11 people total in the apartment. So I'm in the hallway in the smoke, and they, they were ushering them past. I think the fire was in the kitchen. They were holding it and getting the people out so the people could walk through. So I feel somebody bumping me. I feel somebody else bumping me. Uh, 231 gets water. We start their water. And I'm standing, like, up close to the the apartment door in the smoke. And uh, all of a sudden, on my turnout coat, I feel bang, 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 somebody pulling on my coat. You know? So what happens? Initially, I'm like, I'm jumping, you know, I mean, what is, what is that? You know, I look down and, and the smoke clears a little bit and there's this little girl and I'm telling you, she couldn't have been more four or five. All right. I look down at her. She looks up at me and in a clear, calm voice, she says to me, Mr. Feynman, are we going to die tonight? I'm like, I hope not, sweetie. <laughs> I hope not. You know, and now I'm thinking to myself, Jesus, kid, I just started an hour. I got 14 more hours and you're asking me if I'm going to die tonight. You know, so I take her by the head. I said, come on me. I walk. I get her down back down. I mean, this kid was as calm as can be. 
Maybe she had been into a fire before. I don't know, but she was calm as can be. So I walk her down the hallway. I get her back to the stairwell, and I turn her over to the the, the family that was in the apartment there. You know, I don't even I don't even know how she got out of the apartment. Where she walked out herself. I don't know what happened, but it was crazy. But I was just so happy that the men didn't see me walking hand in hand with her, because we got back to the firehouse. You know what it would have been. Hey, you ought to see this four-year-old girl rescuing the lieutenant, taking him back to the stairwell. <laughs> but talk about out of the out of the mouths of babes. When mm-hmm. she said that to me, I I, I was I, I couldn't believe it. I just said, I hope not, sweetie. I'm not, uh, you know, it's like it was at crazy. that age though, they're brutally honest. Oh my God. And she, you know, I, I it was funny because she was just below the smoke a little bit and clear, and I see this little kid. And she was tiny. I'm telling you, it was just, I couldn't believe it, you know. Fortunately for the people in the apartment and the, the truck, they got the fire, the engine got the fire down. They didn't have to slide off the roof, thank God, you know, to try to rescue six people. And, um, you know, the truck, the engine, they did a great job and they, they got the fire. And uh, But that was that was quite an event, uh, that, that little girl. And uh, that's something you never forget. You know, I, I, I can almost see her face looking up at me now and just uh, I'm like, really? <laughs> but uh, that was that was another night tour in, in 290 engine. <laughs> well, let me let me ask you, you know, before I before I get to the concluding segment, listen, time has right. flown by. Jesus, it's yeah, been an hour and, yeah. and 17. This has been great. I knew it would be great. I told you that off the air. Sure enough, the audience agrees, too. Right. But that last day, I mean, from the fire department that you knew coming into that class at third class in November of 78 through the eighties, through the nineties, right after nine 11 and the resiliency that it showed a lot of change, some for the good, some for the not so good, but nevertheless, walking into the firehouse that last time for that last tour, take me through your last day. That was a day tour. Um, I kind of got floored with the pension guy. Cause I went down, I, you know, I checked on the numbers. I didn't even have any idea of, uh, of, uh, retiring, you know, when he goes, all right, Rich, uh, here's a story. You got this, this, this. He says, uh, you got uh, two more day tours. I put you on vacation, terminal leave. You're done. Two more day tours. I go, what? He goes, that's it. So that's the kind of time I had to, he says, go home and think about it, but you got to get back to me right tomorrow. And well, this is going to happen. I go, uh, 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 yeah. So <laughs> I, I end up making the decision like, yeah, it's time. I think it's time. You know, I mean, uh, 9-11 took a lot out of my sales. You know, you know, people, uh, I mean, I wasn't there when, you know, when for the initial collapses and all that, but you know, you know, a lot of people and then, you know, you, you're not getting any younger run up and down the projects. And, uh, you know, I says, all right, maybe it is time, you know, but my last day tour was kind of, it was kind of odd, not knowing, you know, not knowing how, what was going to happen. Like what happens? I'm not coming in for the night tour. You know, uh, it, it was it was kind of crazy that, you know, like, no, that's it. You, you're finished. And it, it goes back and it, everybody will tell you the same thing. You know, when you go to probie school, a guy says, you guys better prepare for your retirement because before you blink an eye, it's going to be 20 years. You're going to be out of this job. And we're all laughing. You're like, this guy kidding, you know, and then it happens. Here it is. And then yeah. here it is. And, you know, my last day tour, um, you know, it. it you know, some of the guys came in and, it, you know, it was, it, it was, it was different, you know? Uh, but like I said, uh, you know, and I, now I'm thinking like, you know, Oh, I got all this to do. 
there's no more paperwork for me. I have nothing else to do. I'm finished, you know. <laughs> Sorry, Cap, but you got it, you know. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, it it is it is quite a feeling. Um, I, fortunately for me, I I never lost touch with the guys. Uh, I never lost touch with that firehouse too, you know. Um, there's a lot of great firehouses, and 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 Sheffield Avenue being one of them. And and you know, I I, I still go, you know, I, go, I try to go to Metal Day, you know, uh, 9/11, I, you know. I try to get back to the firehouse for the, for the ceremony there because uh, the last place I worked. Um, uh, actually, uh, my nephew actually works in the firehouse. Um, so uh, I still have a connection there. But, uh, I mean, it's it, the thing I liked about the firehouse or I do like about the firehouse, I don't think it's changed much since the day I was there. Uh, guys are still drilling guys, guys are still, you know, no, we turn out here. We, you know, you got to know your job. Uh, you know, I mean, so that, and that, that has a lot to do with the offices. There are some great offices working there. Uh, a matter of fact, Danny McWilliams is getting a medal, made a rescue. He's in the truck. Um, All right. yeah. Um, uh, I think it's June 1st medal day. Uh, mm-hmm. but they, they, it seems like, I don't know what it is about that firehouse. Um, but it's it's it seems like the tradition is always there, and same people think about the place, gravitate to the place. Um, I just got a quick letter. I got to read you. Sure, um, go right ahead. Um, this is from uh, to a mutual friend, uh, Deputy Chief Matty Farrell. He was a deputy chief. He was a borough commander in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. Um, I talked to him on the phone. I, I was trying to get a chance to sit meet with him in Florida. I didn't. But he wrote old school guy, ninety two years old, wrote me this note. You know. Uh, he says, writing to you to say thanks for the phone call on your way home. Still amazed how many old timers you mentioned going back to my ladder 103 time. 19, and he's, he puts in quotes 1963 to 1969. He also rubs it in and says, as a lieutenant and a captain, we called it the, the war years. Okay. But he, he writes, I also ran in with 290 and 103 as a battalion chief. He was a battalion chief in the 39 battalion, which we were assigned to at numerous fires. He said, over all the years in the FDNY, 32, and all the places I worked, my mind constantly returns to Sheffield Avenue. He said, what a bunch of saints and sinners. And that, to me, sums up that firehouse. (laughs) But uh, I'll tell you, for 92, Matty Farrell, I think, could put on a turnout coat and go in the chief's car and run a fire just like he did uh, how many years ago? I mean, give my ago. number. Give my number. Tell him I want to have him on the show. Uh, it was great talking to him. And like I said, to mention the same people we, we all knew, you know. So, uh, uh, like I said, it, that's now that's a guy who hasn't been in that firehouse since 1970. All right. And he still thinks of that firehouse, you know. It's crazy. It's crazy, but you, you get everybody. You get attached. You you know, you certain place you worked, and and it never leaves you. Never leaves you. I think it sums up the fire service, and by extension, the police profession. Similarly, as well, extraordinary men and women doing right. extraordinary right. things. Right. You know, that's that's pretty much it. And yeah. that's wow, wow, what a letter, what a show. It is now time for the concluding <laughs> segment called Rapid Fire. Five hit run questions from me. You could say okay. pass, of course. Five hit run answers from you. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. First, 
Well, you kind of t- hit on a few of them during the show, but nonetheless, okay. expand if you don't mind. Most uplifting job you ever responded to. Okay. Um, that was a fire. I think it was 96. It was about, it was two blocks from the firehouse. Um, one thirty in the morning, as I'm going to the rig, I can hear the Brooklyn dispatcher calling me, calling me, calling me. 290, 290, 290. I, I, as I jump on the rig, I pick up the phone. 290, yeah, 290 to Brooklyn. He goes, Lou, you got jumpers, all right? I go, okay, 10-4. So we, re- so we respond, and it was, it was north of the firehouse, straight shot, straight down there. So we respond down there, and we can't get close to the building. There's like four cop cars. There's an ambulance. There's a, there's a cop car on the hydrant. So we pull up. I see the smoke. I transmit the box. I see a body on, you know, a body on the, on the, on the ground in front of the doors. Uh, I get out. Guys start a line right away. I don't even have to tell them. Um, my chauffeur ends up nudging, allegedly nudges a police car off the hydrant and gets up on the sidewalk to hook up. The, the truck is trying to get a position to get to those windows. I think he allegedly pushed two police cars like a quarter of the block. Um, so we start, we, the guy starts stretching the building. Unfortunately, there was nothing we can do for this, this gentleman that had jumped from the sixth floor, but we're kind of stretching a hose line over him. But I mean, I don't know what kind of fire we have up there. People are flooding out of the building. There's cops all over the building and they're evacuating the building. And I'm like, guys, leave them there because these people are below the fire. You know, it's not like they're above the fire. They're all below the fire. So they, they're evacuating the building and we're trying to make our way up the truck and the engine. We're, we're making our way up. And I'm yelling at people, uh, move to the left, move to the left because the stairways are crowded. We're moving up, we're moving up. So, um, we, we, the truck gets up there and the engine, my guys are pretty much, the, the lieutenant in the truck said, Richie, he was a covering guy. He says, what's the story with you guys, the engine? He said, the nozzle man is pushing me up the stairs while he's dragging a line. He said, I couldn't believe it. So they get up there. To, now the, the, the hallway's charged. Um, and I hear the guys working on the door and it's so charged. And normally when, when the hallway's charged like that, the door is open. So I go, the door is open. What is the truck doing? So the first apartment door I hit, it's open. So I open the door. I said, oh, the fire's probably in here. I open the door. I step in a couple of feet. The fire's not there. But the difference is it's, it's, it's next to the fire apartment. So I know now that the fire apartment is just kind of opposite of the one I'm in. So I get down to the door. And now I see that the, 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 there was gas sprayed all over the, the door in the hallway under the apartment door. And, and it was lit. So that's why the guys were forcing the door. Uh, so we had him hold up for just a couple of seconds because I'm looking under the door. I see fire on, under the door till we get the line in position. So we get the line in position. We charge the line. The guys kick open the door. So being as I knew the layout, while the guys are doing their normal go around the walls, I shoot across the living room and I make way, way for the back to see, A, if there's anybody else in there, but also if there's any more fire back there because the guys are knocking down what's going on in, in the living room. So... Uh, I get to the back and almost at the same time, the truck in the middle bedroom finds the, the, uh, uh, the mother and I think a three-year-old child. I get to the back bedroom and I find uh, two girls, one nine, one eleven. Uh, one was on, they were on bunk beds. And as I'm doing that, the chauffeur from the truck who got position is coming in the sixth floor window out, out the front window coming in, you know? 
So I called to the truck. We got him out. We worked on a couple. We turned him over to EMS. And uh, the truck did a hell of a job, too. I mean, the baby, I think, was had fallen between uh, the bed and the wall, typical of what happens with little kids sometimes. Mm-hmm. And he, the, one of the guys found the kid. And we got all, we got all four of them out um, and uh, respiratory arrest, two of them. But I'll tell you the truth. I, I think they all lived, you know. And uh, that that kind of was uh, one of the most rewarding fires. Um, I, I didn't even go to the chief about, you know, chief, the guys did a great job. The deputy comes up to me and he goes, Rich, I want you to put everybody in for unit citation. You know, no questions asked. Look the other way on a car accident. You know, allegedly. <laughs> and, yeah. <laughs> so uh, we kind of like, you know, Rich, there's something with some car, you know, police cars down. I said, oh, gee, I don't think it's anything. You know, he said, okay, I still want you to put the guys in. So uh, us in the truck ended up getting a, a unit citation. Um, and the, it, it was a shame the truck officer actually got killed on 9 yeah. 11. Uh, yeah, he ended up getting promoted captain. I think he was in 13 truck. Uh, nice guy. But uh, he said, to, he says to me, when we get back to the forest, he goes, Rich, I never seen a line get upstairs so fast in my life. And he, I said, you know what? I said, these, we just do it a lot. And the guys are just good at what they do. He says, oh, my God, I couldn't believe it. But uh, that was probably one of the most rewarding jobs I went to uh, for the fact that we, we were able to, I, I felt bad we couldn't save the, the, the father. But <coughs> at least out. being able to get everybody else out. Yeah. Uh, and I think, that, I think they lived. I think they all lived, too. Right, which uh, is. It reminds you me know, why they, you signed up for the job in the first place, right. I imagine. I mean, they had burns and stuff like that, but I think they made it. Before I move to the second question, was the captain's name uh, Walter Hines? Walter Hines, yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Walter Hines, yeah. And he got killed in 9-11. Yeah. Yep. Uh, yep. Second, funniest colleagues you ever worked with? Oh, my God. There isn't enough time and enough. And, 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 all of them. <laughs> all of them. You want them all? We'll be here all night. But. I could, I could tell you a funny story about a guy, a guy when I was covering. Um, uh, he, the guy comes into the firehouse. He's telling a story. He goes, yeah, my, my wife's got this big dog. He said, the dog uh, digs up my yard. He said, uh, you know, he gets out all the time. He said, I had to do something with this big dog. He said, I got kids. I can't have this dog, you know. Uh, I'm worried about the kids and all this. So he comes up with the idea that he says his friend is going like two states away or something. So he gets his friend. He says, listen, do me a favor. Take the dog. Take him wherever the heck you're going two states away. He said, let him out. Some farm will take him, something like that. He said, and I'll be rid of this dog. So the guy, his friend does it. All right. So naturally his wife comes home. Where's the dog? Blah, 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 blah. He said, honey, you know, the dog's been getting out. He, he'll probably be back. Don't worry about it. You know? So, so this goes on for like a day, you know? So his wife goes, Maybe, maybe I should put out some flyers. Maybe I should contact some people to try to, you know, locate the dog. So he goes, you know what, honey? Why don't you do that? Go out, take some advertisements, you know. So his wife spends about, I think it was $450 or $500 advertising a lost dog, all right? So he goes, you know what, honey? Besides that, why don't we put a $500, you know, reward to find the dog, whatever the, dog, whatever the dog's name was, right? So he puts a five. Four fifty for four fifty five hundred for the advertisement, five hundred for the for the uh, uh, reward. All right. A day and a half later, his wife gets a call. 
we have your dog, right? She goes, she go, oh, she calls her husband up at work. He, they got our dog. He goes, no way, right? She says, yes, they got the dog. They're going to bring him back, blah, 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 blah. He calls up his friend. He goes, what'd you do with this dog? He said, he says, you were going out to Pennsylvania or Ohio. He says, where did you drop him off? He said, I got him about 50 miles out. I figured I'd let him go and nobody's ever going to find him out here. They, somebody saw the advertisement in Jersey, sent the dog back. That guy was out 500 for the advertisement, 500, 500 for the reward. He goes, my God, I should have just shot the dog. Swing and a miss, he struck him out. <laughs> just a bit outside. So that's just like one of the funniest guys. Like you just, you just can't believe it, you know. Oh God, lose gain, gain a dog, lose a grand. I I used to tell everybody, you know what my biggest job as an officer in New York City Fire Department is? They go, know what? Protecting the men from themselves. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, oh boy, man. Yeah. It's, it's, there's a ton of characters I could tell you about, but there's just too many. I, w- I want to give everybody their due, you know. But, we have to do a part two for that yeah, alone. Yeah. Yeah. Third, funniest call you ever responded to. Okay. This funniest call. Uh, June. Was it a June? Summer night, Friday night. It's, uh, oh, like 6.02. I just started at 6 o'clock. Mm-hmm. So we get a run up Pennsylvania Avenue, heading south. Traffic Friday in Brooklyn is murder. Uh, traffic backed up uh, for three, four blocks to Linden Boulevard. We're, we The chauffeur swings out into oncoming traffic. Uh, a guy's coming down. We're trying to squeeze in. All of a sudden, rip, rip, rip. Oh, jeez. We hit, we hit this guy or he hit us. I don't know which. All right? So the chauffeur says, should I stop? I go, yeah. So we stop. So the guys go, you want us to get out, Lou? I said, no, uh, let me get out and talk to this guy. I don't want these guys hearing, but if I can pay this guy off for his damages, that's what I'm going to do. You know why? Because I'm going to be there for two hours with a chief. He's going to ask me. I got to do all kinds of reports. I'll be typing all night. I'm going to be running all night for fires and, 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 and all kinds of runs. I said, this is like a nightmare, all right? So I'm willing to go out there and maybe say, hey, guy, 50 bucks, take it to a guy, get a fix, you know? Not a lot of damage. I think we took the trim off his side door. So I get off the rig, and I come across the only lawyer in East New York. You know? (laughs) Of course. He's not a lawyer, but he knows the whole procedure. I don't know if he's been in an accident with a fire truck or not, but he. I get off the rig. I go back there, and he goes, look at my car. And he starts screaming at me. I know what you got to do. You got to call your chief boy. Get him over here. Take report, blah, blah. He's going on and on and on. He's yelling at me. I'm going, oh, boy. This is going from bad to worse, you know? So I go, oh, hold on, guy. guy, take it. Now, I haven't reported any accident or anything yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, allegedly. So, I, I, I said, hold on, guy. Hold on. Take it easy. And he's still yapping away at me. Walk back to the car. Look at the car. So, I walk back with him to the car. He's got his passenger window rolled down. And I look on the floor in front of the front seat and there is a bottle of vodka in a brown bag, <laughs> three quarters empty on, on the floor of the, of the car. So I am like, wait a minute, this, this tour may be saved yet. So 
So I go back to the guy, and he goes, when are you going to have the chief come here and take the report? Blah, blah, blah. I said, well, guy, listen, let, let's just hold on a minute. Let me, let me, can I ask you a question? I said, have you been drinking tonight? And he goes, he looks at me, and he goes, he didn't lie. He goes, I might have had a nip. I go, a nip? I said, you got a empty, half, three-quarter empty bottle of vodka on your floor in your car. I said, listen, but I'll do whatever you want. I said, you want me to call my chief boy here? I said, he'll come here. We'll take a report. I said, but you know what's going to happen when I do that? He's going to call 75 precinct, and they're going to come. I said, and they're going to make a report. And I said, if they see that bottle of vodka, we'll find out you've been drinking. I said, we might have a problem here. I said, it's Friday night at 6 o'clock. All right? I said, if they, if they lock you up, you're not getting out till Monday. And I said, besides, they're going to probably impound your car. All right. So he goes from being a good old lawyer to he knows his rights. And he kept saying, I know my rights. He goes, maybe we can forget about this, Lieutenant. <laughs> <laughs> so I go, are you absolutely sure you want to forget about this? Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Have a good night. I said, you too, and enjoy the rest of the weekend. I get back on the ring. I said, let's get out of here. I went from a nightmare to, I just, it was like, you, you couldn't, you couldn't dream that this could ever happen, you know? I mean, this guy was yelling and screaming. But when I, I came up with a bottle of vodka, he goes, and then he tells me I might have had a nip. I said, oh, man. I said, if they catch you, you're going to, they might throw you in jail for the weekend. <laughs> Spend a weekend in the drunk tank at the yeah. seven five. Four yeah. words for you, brother. Only oh, yeah. in New York. Uh-huh. Only yeah. in New York. Crazy. Yeah. So that was probably one of the funniest, uh, craziest runs I had. Uh, boy. Fourth, favorite bar or restaurant in New York City. Famous bar or restaurant. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna give the Harbor Light a plug in in, in uh Newport. Uh one one thirty in Newport. There you uh, go. Uh they got cold uh, Guinness there on tap. <laughs> There you go. Have to check it out. And fifth and finally, if you can grab somebody fresh out of the rock, they just came on the job. They're all charged up with 23 years of experience under your belt. If you can pull them to the side, give them some advice. This is a, my version of the old school tip of the day. What advice would you give them? I would probably tell them, <clears throat> listen, um, and, and this probably goes for cops too. Listen, nobody came to you and dragged you out of your house and made, and said, you're going to be a fireman. All right. You, you volunteered for this. You signed up for this. All right. And there's a lot of good and there's a lot of bad to come with it. Um, and, and, and actually I'll, I'll use part of Coob's line, which, which actually came out like, uh, you know, we're, we're doing bad. We're doing the Lord's work. And I used to tell the men all the time. I used to drive nuts. Hey, we're doing the Lord's work. Yeah, we know. Yeah. Um, but you know, we, we're, we're, we're in God's army and we're doing his work and we're fighting the war that never ends. And just keep that in mind, you know, and, you know, try not to, you know, ha when you're having a bad day, don't, don't bring it to the firehouse. And, and also just try to be good at basic stuff. This job is not that difficult. A lot of it's just basic stuff. And when the basic things happen, everything goes smooth. You know, I mean, yeah, there's crazy stuff that happens or there's, you know, uh, guys, uh, you know, back, you know, sliding down, picking up people ropes, uh, you know, climbing ladders. But their basics are good. And, it, you know, try to keep that in mind that um, don't be disheartened. And like I said, you you signed up for this. 
So always keep that in mind. All right. That, you know, we're, we're battling a, a war that never ends. And you like, like some, like I, I think Dennis Smith said, yeah, tonight could be the night. That was one yep. of his things. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you just never know. That's one thing with the fire department. Um, you could be sitting in a firehouse in Queens and next thing you know, you're in the middle of Manhattan fighting a fire in a high rise. You just never know. So, um, that would be my tip just to, uh, you know, stick with basics, try to learn your job, uh, stick by the senior guys and, and guys will say this all the time, you know, sit at the kitchen table, your mouth shut and your ears open. And, uh, and don't be afraid to ask those guys questions. I had a senior man once when we had a, a, a bunch of junior guys come. He says, he says, Lou, these kids haven't asked me one question yet. Now, here's a guy that's been in the company for 17 years, gone to more fires than you can shake a stick at. Haven't <laughs> been asked one question. It could be because they were afraid of him. But, uh, Allegedly. you know, you can get by that because guys, no matter how gruffy they can be, will eventually break down and give you your answer. You know, especially when it has to do with the company. So that would be my old school tip of the day. <laughs> this was fantastic. Don't sign off yet. Stay goodbye. Stay, stick okay. around. So we'll say goodbye off the air. Okay. Before I say goodbye to the audience, is there any uh, shout out, any other shout outs you want to give? Uh, I'd like to give a, sh- well, I'd like to give a shout out to Larry O'Donnell. I just, I want to be quick here. Larry, mm-hmm. Larry O'Donnell, I mentioned earlier is going through, uh, he's got an autoimmune disease that I think is one in a million. Uh-huh. And he's getting all kinds of treatments. I don't think they have a lot of answers for him. Uh, I, I, I'm pretty sure it's 9-11 related. Um, and I'm like, if anybody out there knows anybody that's really into that autoimmune thing, because I know there's a lot of different versions, uh, you know, try to reach out. And, uh, you know, I think the, the family can use all the help they can get Absolutely. because it's not going good. And I think, uh, you know, it, it, they're at wit's end because, I think the medical field just doesn't know what to do for him, you know, mm. but here's a guy that, like I said, is probably the strongest guy that, that you ever want to meet. And, uh, you know, I feel bad that he's going through this in retirement, you know, so give him my best, yes. our, our best to the O'Donnell mm-hmm. family. Uh, my shout out to you, of course, like I said, stick around and to the audience, uh, shout him out in order Joe Maliga, Ruth Ann Griffin, Raquel and Peter Branzo, uh, Bill Kennedy, retired NYPD Sergeant out of truck one emergency service. Uh, your daughter, of course, Jeanette Milholland, William Cooney, Stu Kelsaw, uh, CFD 335, 346. I watch Baywatch, not your mother's role model. That makes me laugh every time I see it. Uh, thank you for everybody for tuning in tonight. And for those of you that didn't pop up in the chat, if you were watching, I appreciate it as well. Coming up next on the Mike the New Haven podcast, it's funny because he comes from an FDNY family that he went into the police department and he went into the emergency service unit. He spent most of his career in truck six in Brooklyn. And on top of that, he was in FEMA from 2003 until 2012 joining me tuesday for volume 14 of the e-men inside the nypd's emergency service unit retired nypd emergency service specialist carl duenzel in the meantime on behalf of a retired fdny lieutenant richard dumick this has been volume 17 of the best of the bravest interviews with the fdny's elite we will see you next time take care everybody have a great rest of your weekend be safe
It's the same old thing as yesterday.